where's the best place to sit in the car? You know, you're, you're not the driver, you're the passenger, and you've got to find a place to sit. Where do you want to go? See, this is uh, the question I asked a number of kids at the ARC, Messiah's Learning Center, this past week. And, and almost universally, they answered in agreement, the best place to sit in the car is the passenger seat. Uh, right up front. And they, they gave me a number of reasons why, and, and some were very practical. Uh, when I sit up front, one person said, I don't get car sick. And uh, some were obvious. Uh, up front, uh, you get the best possible view. You can see everything. You can see right where you're going. And, and up front, you can control the, the radio and the windows and the air conditioning. And, and up front, I'm even told uh, that if your mom asks you where uh, everyone in the car would like to go for lunch and you're sitting up front, you might just get to make the decision. But then some of their answers were uh, a little bit more creative, maybe even devious, uh, because up front it turns out that you can lock people out of the car. Uh, up front you can uh, recline your seat on a brother or sister sitting behind you. And, and up front, and I don't condone this, I'm even told that you can honk the horn when your parents aren't looking. And uh, I think this is why we've actually given uh, a term to sitting up front called riding shotgun. And it uh, dates back to the days of stagecoaches when someone would quite literally ride up front with a shotgun uh, to protect the rest of the people in the stagecoach from would-be attackers and thieves. Uh, but there was one more uh, answer uh, that the kids at the Ark gave. And it's, uh, it's really stuck with me this past week. It was the answer of uh, a little kindergartner eating his lunch. He said, I'd sit up front because that's where the big people sit. You know, as uh, i just gone downstairs to find a funny way to get into my sermon this morning, uh, but as I've thought about today's reading, as I've uh, thought about uh, what Jesus might be saying to people like you and me on a day like today, I can't get his answer out of my head. Because, because we all want to be big people, don't we? And what it means uh, for you to be big and what it means for me to be big, that might just be different. But the desire, the inclination, is part of the world we live in. And what we discover today, it's, uh, it's two things, really. First, uh, we discover uh, that, that this desire, this inclination, it might just get in the way of Jesus. And second, we learn that this is exactly why Jesus comes. This is exactly uh, why Jesus dies on a cross, to invite us, to free us to live in a world that looks radically different. You know, a world where, where being big doesn't have to mean getting ahead. A world where being big doesn't mean having to get your way. A world where being big doesn't have to mean getting to be the person who always gives the answer. Instead, very challenging and very freeing news that we discover today is that being big in Jesus' kingdom simply means being a servant. That's it. That also brings us uh, to today's reading from Mark chapter 10. And uh, what you need to know about today's passage is that it falls on the heels of a rather significant moment. It falls on the heels of Jesus' third and final passion prediction. The Son of Man uh, Jesus has said three times now, is going to be handed over. He's going to be delivered. He's going to be handed uh, to his enemies, and then he's going to be put to death, and eventually he will rise again. 
And if you're familiar with how these conversations go in Mark's gospel, then you know also that three times the disciples just don't get it. See, the first time Peter has just uh, made this bold confession. He said that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and, and it's powerful. And, and Jesus then goes on to explain what it means, that his strength is going to be shown in weakness, but Peter is unable to listen. That's because Peter thinks that being the Messiah, being big, doesn't mean being a servant. You know, it's almost the exact same story the second time around. Uh, Jesus explains what it means to be the Messiah, that he's going to die and rise again. Uh, But instead of listening to what he has to say, uh, right after this, the disciples actually get into an argument about which one of them is the greatest. And so by the third and final passion prediction, the surprising thing is not what Jesus has to say. We, we already know what it means to be the Messiah. Instead, the surprising thing is that Jesus just doesn't give up on these guys. We're going down to Jerusalem. You've got to imagine that Jesus says this uh, just a little bit more bluntly. And then he follows the script that we've heard a few times now. The Son of Man is going to die and rise again. And I think that's why at the beginning of today's reading, uh, James and John uh, find themselves getting just a little nervous. Because what if Jesus really is telling the truth? Take a moment, consider that. What if time is really running short? What if this is the last chance they get? And so they they pull Jesus aside and they say to him, "Uh, Lord, we want you to do us a favor. We we, we want you to do whatever we ask. And you're probably right to imagine this uh, skeptical look on Jesus' face. Sort of like a parent responding to a child or or maybe a teacher answering a a student. Yeah, what kind of favor do you want? And and that's when they say to him, well, you know, we want to sit at your side, your right and your left when you come again in glory. And I'm a little surprised that Jesus doesn't just smack them on the head at this point. Because you've got to be kidding me, right? Uh, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And and, and if you're Jesus, you've got to be thinking, and now I'm going down to Jerusalem to die for you. And James, John, all you can think about is getting ahead? You know, the more I think about what they have to say, the more I realize that what they're doing is just, so incredibly human. I mean, it's, it's just part of the world we live in. I, I think about that, that kindergartner at the ark, right? Uh, where would you sit if you could sit anywhere in the car? I'd sit up front because that's where the big people sit. You know, that's, uh, that's what James and John want in today's reading. I mean, they, they just want to be big people. And for them, that means sitting at Jesus' right and at Jesus' left. And you know, for us, it might be something different. I mean, maybe it means uh, getting ahead, seizing the moment, taking the opportunity, or, or maybe it means being right, you know, being the person who's got answers when everybody else is still asking questions. Maybe it means uh, having an impact, transforming the world all around you, or, or maybe being big isn't about all that stuff. Maybe it's just doing what you're supposed to do. Because, because being big isn't about being flashy or glitzy. It's about being responsible. 
you know, none of this stuff is uh, wrong in and of itself. I mean, I think that's the challenging part of today's reading. None of it's wrong by itself, except it so easily gets twisted. I mean, you might just be responsible. You might just transform the world. You, you might just have the answers in a really critical moment. You see, it so easily gets twisted. And all of a sudden, it's not about doing these things. It's about being the person who does these things. You know, that's what James and John want. And quite honestly, that's the thing that, that all of us want. And that's also why Jesus has to go down to Jerusalem. That's why he has to be handed over. That's why he has to die on a cross. Because of that desire, that inclination, what we so often call sin. And the good news uh, that we're going to go on to discover is that, that when Jesus rises three days later from an empty tomb, he frees us from needing to live in a kind of world like this. The kind of world where who you are is determined by what you do. Because we all know that what you do is never going to be enough. Instead, who you are is determined by what Jesus has already done. Your faults, your failures, your brokenness, your shame, your sin, all of it is covered by Jesus. And it's not just covered by him. It's redefined by his death and resurrection. And that, that is what frees us to live the life of a servant. Now, it was, uh, it was the third day uh, in just under a month that the city's sanitation workers had invited him uh, to come and speak uh, at their event. The third time uh, that the city's sanitation workers had invited Martin Luther King Jr. to speak. And if you know much about the event, uh, he had plenty of reasons not to show up that night. You see, the city was, was full of unrest. It was about to explode. And, and quite honestly, he was feeling a little under the weather, fighting a cold. But on April 6, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. took the stage uh, just, down, just south of downtown Memphis. So on this particular night, uh, this 39-year-old leader of the civil rights movement, he stands in front of a large crowd with no notes in his hands. And he speaks, speaks directly from the heart. Something, he says, is is happening in our world. And, and for the next 45 minutes, he surveys a number of moments uh, in world history and then explains what has been going on in the civil rights movement. And, you know, listening to his speech more than 50 years later, it's almost like he knows what's going to happen. Uh, that less than 24 hours later, he's going to be assassinated. You know, for just a moment, uh, as we come to a close, I want to watch the last minute of his speech. You know, you, uh, you may not agree with everything he says theologically, every sort of theological turn, and, and you might, may not agree with the way he integrates all of his faith into all of his politics, but that's not the reason I want you to watch this. And so the reason I want you to watch this is, is how God in Christ frees him to not need to be a big person but instead to live the life of a servant because that's what Jesus does for people like you and me. He frees us from the need to be big people and enables us to live the life of a servant. Go ahead and watch this.
will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Twenty-four hours later, he's assassinated. And yet, as you watch him, uh, there's something about him. I'm not worried, he says, not fearing any man. And I think it's because in Christ, he is free. He's free to live the life of a servant, free to live in a way that looks radically different. You know, that's the, the same kind of way that Jesus invites us to live, because, because who you are isn't determined by what you do. Who you are isn't determined by being a big person. Who you are is determined by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what eventually goes on to change everything for disciples like James and John, who are martyred for their faith after the resurrection. It goes on to change everything for Martin Luther King Jr. It's what goes on to change everything for all the Christians who have ever gone before us. And it's the thing that changes everything in our lives. Because in Christ... We are free. And, and being great, having power, making a difference, it means following him, living the life of a servant. In the name of Jesus, amen.